Well, hello there. Welcome to Coachable. This is episode eight with Coach Kev Deneen, live from New York City. And with this, we have a three-part series, eight, eight, and eight. The crazy eights, we're going to call them. The first one up is eight lessons over the last 12 months. We just completed 12 months of what can only be called the wildest of times. And I would argue that our business survived for eight reasons. And and the seeds for that survival were planted a while ago. They weren't planted in March. They were planted a little bit before that. I would actually argue back in 2012-13. But before I go into those um, seeds, I'm just going to go taking you down the road. Um, For those that don't know, I started Structured Personal Fitness in a 150-square-foot uh, I'm going to call it a waxing or um, uh, massage room in a nail salon. Within a nail salon, there were other treatments, facials, etc. Um, in New York City, 65th and Lexington, the second floor, right above a Hale and Hardy soup and sandwich shop. And needless to say, it was humble beginnings. I had 25 to 30 clients, and I trained them an average of hmm, twice a week. In the summer, sometimes I would take the bus out and train an entire family in the Hamptons for the day and, and then bus back the same night. Then in 2012, um, I found a spot. It was a cycling studio. And it was on the 72nd in Lexington studio, 72nd in Lexington. And the studio uh, was transitioning from, um, you know, the kind of the, um, the golden era of spinning and spinning studios um, where every Equinox class was packed, where every studio was cl- was packed, absolutely packed. And so this uh, individual had a spin studio with probably like 15 bikes and like a, a personal training studio on the other side. It was kind of divided into two rooms. So I found that and we were operating there from March 2013 until March 2020. So a solid seven year run. Luckily, our lease was actually at the end. We had a five plus two year option. Um, so we did not renew. So we moved out in March 31st. Uh, 2020. So that takes us to today. Now, we've we've also um, forgot to include that in uh, June 2017, I had heard wind of another gym that was going out of business, um, not doing too well. And that was the one on uh, 31st and Park. Um, and this was a gym that I actually um, knew the original owner. I didn't buy it from the original owner, but I knew the uh, original owner. And our, our business model was very similar. Um, it's just a different clientele and a different demographic and a different psychographic. Anyways, um, so that gym was started um, and I finally purchased it after doing diligence for a long time, uh, just in the end of September 2017. So um, all that to say, um, what founded structure um, were, and what allowed structure to continue to be found, um, it was eight specific things. And I think these have evolved over time, but I, I really want to harp on the, the, these eight, because without it, and I'm going to give examples for each one, um, without it, we really, we just wouldn't be here today. And I'm going to, I'm going to explain why. So number one, uh, the first and most obvious lesson is adapt or die. Um, I, with the concept of adapt or die, I think often of the chameleon as this animal that has the the continuous ability to blend in with his surroundings to survive. And for us, um, we did this in two ways specifically. Number one, we adapted to 
virtual training, like real quick. We got all of our equipment out to folks, especially our clients, and um, warranted that they would borrow our equipment and then we would keep their memberships going. So with that, we usually um, just pivoted real quick and we became this uh, kind of behemoth of a, a six-figure business with two trainers doing virtual. Um, some of our trainers were a little bit slower to adapt. Most trainers actually, I would argue, were slower to adapt. Um, and I know still a lot of trainers didn't do much virtual and that's okay. Some people handle that differently. But, and then the second component to that, um, the way that we adapted another example is we used to be all pen or pencil and paper. All of our programs we would write down and keep track. And in um, April of 2019, I actually broke my hand. So um, I couldn't, and it was my right hand. So I couldn't actually write down all of the, I mean, it was just terrible. My writing's not great anyways, but then I get a cast on my hand. I couldn't write. So we switched pretty quickly and uh, we moved everybody over to Google Sheets. And so now th that kind of prepared us for this adaptation of our business model, because when we went to go virtual, we had everything already virtual, essentially. We had all of their, their Google Sheets and all of their programs already. And I can look back back to May of 2019, um, that month that we first did that transition and say, this is what you did. Or April of 2020, this is what you did last year. So the reason that that's important is because um, if we are to continually grow, um, we have to be aware that the the chameleon who adapts to its surroundings is similar to us in, in evolving and adapting to our surroundings. I think what's going to happen in the rest of 2021, for the people that are 100% virtual right now, they're going to start to switch and do a little bit more in person. But I still think virtual is not going to go away. So if they are training three times a week with us now virtually, they'll probably go. Um, come September, because I think people are still going to stay away in the rest of quarter two and quarter three, people will uh, transition to a two-time-a-week in-person and then a one-time-a-week virtual. That's the, the, the um, path that I can see this going down. In addition, I'm going to say that the virtual model will still have its benefits and that it's probably a platform that if you haven't gotten established, um, just like you know in the later stages of, let's say, social media, if you're late to um, Instagram ads or Facebook ads by now, you're probably best off not necessarily doing uh, organic reach on Instagram or Facebook because you're going to have to pay. And you're going to have to uh, pay a, a price, not necessarily financially, but it's going to be difficult to get your clients who are probably already set up with a virtual platform of some level um, to, to supplement their fitness routines because most of them don't necessarily feel comfortable because of the way that the media portrayed gyms as super spreaders uh, in the beginning slash middle of this. And so um, people are going to be hesitant to, hesitant to return until they're fully vaccinated and until um, their schedules and locations warrant it. Anyways, that's number one, adapt or die. Number two, um, I believe in this wholeheartedly. And I'm going to tell you a funny story. This is not business related, but um, ask for it. Don't wait for it. I didn't know um, that I wanted to first own a business until somebody said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I just want to train people. And they said, no, no, no. If you were to ask for something now, and don't wait for it, but if you were to ask for something now that you could have in two years, what would you want to do? And this is probably early in my personal training career. And I was like, huh, what a good question. And so this concept of, if you don't ask for it, you'll, you'll never get it. And if, the, if you don't ask, the answer is always no, resonates with me here specifically because um, a lot of times from our business standpoint, if somebody says they want to do twice a week, I'll ask and I'll say, well, why not three? I'll be like, 
I don't know. I just thought two was the answer. Okay, well, cool. I'm going to ask for that third because I think that's going to be the, the faster way anyways towards the their results. I'm going to ask for that third, and I'm not going to wait, right? And so my, my other famous um, story about this is um, I invited myself to a bachelor party. Yep, that's right. Full on invited myself, not my cousin, my brother-in-law's cousin. So I guess my wife's cousin. Um, full on invited myself. Golf bachelor party said, hey, can I come? And it was a great time, a great, great bachelor party, great group of guys, great golf course. It was up at Whistling Straits um, in Kohler, Wisconsin. But the concept there is if I didn't ask them, I definitely wasn't going to, well, maybe I was going to be invited. I'll, I'm going to humbly say I probably wasn't going to be invited. Um, but the concept of asking for it is in business too. If you don't ask for it, you're really not going to get it. And I think um, that goes for negotiating, that goes for business, but um, it, I think it was really important. Um, and it's something that I've, you know, asked often, whether it's for referrals, whether it's for the third workout day. Um, but I really think it's important to ask for it and don't wait for it. That's number two. Number three, we over me. This is often, you'll see it in like football locker rooms and like, you know, motivational poster and like, like that's, that's fine. But I, I you can't put a finger on this until you listen to the employees or the company um, spokespeople. You can't put a finger on it until you hear them speak. That's when you know that it's absolutely organic and that they believe on it. When they say my client versus our client, you know that it's not there. When they say, here's what we do versus here's what I do, then you start to know that the culture is turning into that culture of this is a team here. We do things different. Um, and this has been something that is uh, for for the personal training world, which tends to be very solo in nature, right? A solopreneur, um, they're usually on their own. They're usually fighting for business. They're usually not used to being managed, right? So it's very difficult to get a personal trainer who may or may not have had team experience as far as sports are concerned, but they probably haven't had a lot of team experience with managers. A lot of managers in the personal training world tend to be just great personal trainers that Crunch or Equinox or New York Sports Club said, you're great at personal training. You should be a manager. Meanwhile, that's a whole different skill set, but that's a separate conversation altogether. We over me, meaning I'm going to put the team first, um, it goes back to this, right? A rising tide lifts all boats. If your front desk is not taking care of the facility and cleaning up, then the trainers don't look as good. And the rising tide, even if the trainers are great, is only... Um, kept down by these anchors that are weighing those boats down, which is the front desk. And the place looks like crap, right? And so the concept of we over me is something that, um, it's the reason I, the day that we moved out of the Upper East Side to the Murray Hill location, so into from all of the stuff that we moved, it was a lot, into the other location. And on the way, I dropped equipment off, thousands of dollars of equipment in the truck off at our clients' houses. I put them over me. We went on a vacation in, in late May of last year down to the Outer Banks. I volunteered to take some of our clients' stuff and some of my friends' stuff in our car, and I couldn't fit the rower. When it becomes your ethos, it is who you are to put others first when you just give all the time. It doesn't mean that you're going to be taken advantage of for the people that you explain, this is our ethos. This is this is how I am. This is You won't be taken advantage of, but you will be looked upon highly because that is your nature. That is um, 
market value for givers is always going to be higher than market value for takers. That's it. Number four, being prepared for an opportunity that isn't there versus being unprepared for an opportunity that is. This is massive. Um, and I think about this often because if you are thinking that, and I'm probably gonna use this later on, but if you are thinking that, for instance, you're making plans for the end of April or May, business-wise, if you are thinking that um, you are uh, ahead and you're, you're planning and all this stuff, you're, you're actually probably behind. And the reason for that is because there are people right now who are planning for April 2022. And, and quite simply, this is the fashion industry, right? The fashion industry has to order, find, find trends that are coming, right? They have to find buyers that are going to that are going to buy it and then come stores that are going to to stock it and then get and then they have to market it and the consumer get the consumer to say i want that right and there's no greater trend over the last year than you know of than tie-dye right tie-dye from the 1980s is back but it didn't start a year ago it started two years ago four years ago what what was it it was neon in the fashion industry maybe it was three but it was neon right and let's say five years ago it was camo right and and so the trend is set a year or two in advance based off of what people um, plan in in this instance um, I think this also has to do with skills I think for a lot of people um, they took the last year as a mini vacation especially in the training industry they took less clients they took whatever that they could and they just said okay I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see what happens. But the problem here is simple. Um, if there's an opportunity that comes up and you've spent the last 12 months sitting on your butt, your skill set, probably of communicating your skill set of programming, your skill set of coaching, your skill set of managing your time is probably not as sharp as it was a year ago. And so you're probably going to not going to be prepared today because you you spent the last 12 months um, essentially being unprepared um, and letting your skills um, kind of get dull. So I think that the concept of being prepared for an opportunity that isn't there is way better than being unprepared for an opportunity it is. And the worst part about this phrase is that you don't necessarily know when that opportunity comes. But that's why I think it's so important to have in the gym business, to have your gym looking good, to have your your trainers ready and staffed. And right now, we're, we we just hired because, and this is April 2nd, 2021, but because of the fact that I think in the next six months, people are gonna slowly start trickling in. One of our trainers, for instance, she told me that she's probably at 90, 90 95% capacity. So I know if I only have two other trainers and, and one of them isn't available, then I only have one, man, I'm in a pickle. I either gotta take them or they, I can't take them. We can't take them as a business. So I want to be prepared for when more clients start coming back into the city in addition to embracing more virtual and marketing the more virtual world. So that's why we're hiring. I'd like to be prepared for the opportunity that right now, I don't think it's, it's super big in New York City. But I think in the next six months, we're going to see a difference. I think September 2021 is going to be very big for the personal training industry. Next, um, the same three traits 
that make personal trainers successful is also what makes them unsuccessful. Here's the traits. Humble, hungry, smart. And at this point, I can't remember exactly where I heard this, but humble, you have to know that you don't know, but you have to have the hunger to find out and to make a better decision. So you have to be humble enough to say, you know, I just don't know, but you know what? I'm going to find out for you, right? So you're demonstrating the humility so that you can learn more. That shows a whole lot more than somebody who says, no, 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 this is the way we do it, right? And I think with personal trainers specifically, it's tough because there is a little bit of ego involved in most decisions. A lot of personal trainers are walking around with very low body fat and they're regarded highly um, by their peers in addition by their clients. And that's okay. But that also puts ego maybe at the forefront of the conversation because the client or other trainers are looking at them putting them potentially on a pedestal and regarding their body of work, meaning them, um, maybe higher than their level of expertise to coach others. And so if they don't have the right level of humility, then they won't be potentially hungry enough because their ego overwhelms their hunger. In addition, um, they would probably won't make good decisions because all their decisions are only based off of um, what they know to be right for them. That was a pretty powerful well, phrase there, but humble, hungry, and smart. These will make a great personal trainer. If they always want to find out more, if they're always hungry to, to learn more, to uh, show that level of humility that they want to learn more, it doesn't have to be within the field. It can be lateralization. It can be learning how to um, negotiate. It can be learning how to um, biz dev and to, to have various revenue streams or uh, income streams. It, it doesn't have to be that. But the concept of you know, using humility, hunger, and smarts, making good decisions, right? Making a safe decision matters. Humble, hungry, and smart. Number six, what you measure gets managed. And similarly, what gets managed changes. This is a really fun one because this is often quoted, right? That, that first part, what you measure gets managed. I think that was Peter Drucker, famous management consultant. But I don't think people finish that sentence too often because the, the, what you measure gets managed. But managing something isn't necessarily the same thing as changing it. And this is really important. When you, when you change something, that can dramatically alter the course of a business. That can dramatically alter your habits. That can dramatically alter the fate of a company. If you manage something, that doesn't necessarily mean that you change it. Now, granted, this is a little play on words, but if you measure something, you have the potential to manage it. For instance, I manage and measure every day our finances. It's actually Tuesday through Saturday, but who's counting? I check and track sales on a daily basis, and I check and track inventory on a daily basis to make sure that our trainers are using the sessions, if there's any packages. In addition, if somebody's not using in a while, to make sure that we reactivate them. But that doesn't necessarily grow the business. You follow me? It doesn't necessarily change the course of the business. That may, that may make it steady, but that doesn't necessarily change it. The change happens when you manage it and then you make a, a, a change within that because I'm looking at numbers and saying, well, I want to grow. I said in, in December 2020 that I wanted to double the business in three months. Did I get there? No. Did I get close? Yeah. I think we grew 40%, right? And our revenue, obviously, from in-person training has been the main driver of that. Virtual training is, is, is holding steady. But 
the concept of measuring it, managing it, changing it, and then starting that process over again, I think that's probably under undervalued. So I'm going to say that again. What you, what you measure gets managed. What you manage must be changed if you want to change it. And if you don't, then just leave it. But then why would you want to just manage it? Just to stay the same? I don't think that's you, and that's definitely not me. All right. That was number six. Number seven, uh, reflection over regrets. I heard this in a uh, podcast, I think. Maybe it was a book. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately because what happens for a lot of people, and I remember this when I had 30 clients, when I trained at um, 65th Street, is I would, if I, if, a, if I lost a client, I would be kind of devastated. I would be really hurt. And this could potentially take away my time and my energy and what I have to offer, let's call it the other 29. <laughs> and if you think about it, you've probably done this too. Um, you're looking longingly back at an opportunity that you missed when you have 29 more right in front of you. And I know this is normal. I think there's a, a term for this. Um, but the concept for me of reflection over regrets is something that I've been embracing often. Somebody actually asked me recently and they said, do you find yourself motivated? Do you have a chip on your shoulder by people who have, have not believed in you or want to see you fail or something along those lines? And I said, that would be on a whole different level of mindset. Um, I'm one who studies stoicism and we've talked about this a little bit before, but it would be a whole different level of mindset, certainly on the negative side of, uh, of a negative mindset and probably fixed mindset. And... I, if I go down that road, I'm in a weird place because I don't need to beat somebody that told me I can't do something. I need to be better than I was yesterday, today. That's it. And so my reflection goes back to, over regret, goes back to if I lost a client, it probably started somewhere. Right. And granted, they could have. This is not just if they're moving. Right. If somebody is undervaluing our our training, for instance, and they say, well, I don't I don't think I should be paying this much. All right. I must have messed up somewhere. I might have been unprofessional. I might have um, not made the program as um, tailored to their needs. Um, I may have led them to believe that, um, you know, our prices or other people's prices were different in the market or something like that. Like I, I probably messed up somewhere, but I'm not going to regret it. I'm just going to try to reflect upon it and move on because otherwise I'm going to be taking away from the people that I am interacting with. And that's, that's no fun. So the concept of reflection over regrets weighs on me. And I've really tried to live that mantra and I'm not as motivated as I once was. Uh, and I'm not motivated by, and the chip on my shoulder does not come from people who have said I can't. It certainly used to, but then it would go to everywhere else. The, the, the problem here is if you start to do that, then you think rooting against somebody else because if they win, you're going to lose. What does that say about you, right? Like I go back to the rising tide lifts all boats. I believe that. I believe that if everybody did more, then we'd all get more. I don't believe that there is a finite supply of success in this world. I believe that if you, listener A through uh, Z, um, become more successful because you listen to this, then we all win. 
That's it. I don't believe it comes out of my pocket. And I think for some people, they do. Um, but uh, that's reflection over regrets, number seven. Number eight, this is a fun one as I quantify my strategies when it comes to continuing education, reading, writing, and even podcasts. And simply put, I need to be reminded more than I need to be taught. I'm going to say that again. I need to be reminded of the things that I have learned and the things that I am not doing more so than I need to be taught things that I I do not know how to do. So for instance, I'll use an exercise analogy. I need to, from a cardiovascular standpoint, work on two things. One, my intervals, and two, my aerobic base. They both work hand in hand, and my intervals help my aerobic base. My aerobic base helps my intervals ability. Strength-wise, I need to focus on less exercise and doing, but doing those exercises well and increasing them over time instead of jumping from workout to workout to program to program and not tracking and kind of having exercise variability trump exercise um, accommodation slash overload. That's just what I need to be reminded because I know and the fact is I have achieved the most significant goals when I was pursuing overload in both those categories, cardio and strength. And I don't need to learn anything new. There's no new exercise that's going to change it for me. I'm doing the same six exercises. I'm going to post them. Squats, lunges, step-ups, deadlifts, presses, pulls, chops, some crunches. Real simple stuff. But what I am doing is I'm doing more and tracking. Just to, I have to beat what I did yesterday. Not necessarily yesterday, but I have to beat it. right? And similarly, from a business standpoint, I need to be reminded that, again, going back to number six, what you measure gets managed. I need to be reminded how simple things are when you boil it down. Is my funnel right? Is my website right? Am I capturing leads correctly? Is my marketing message the same? I'm working on that with a book from uh, Donald Miller, Business Made Simple. Um, I need to be reminded. And the concepts, in, in, for instance, in his book, Business Made Simple, are very, very simple. Business, the business he's talking about is making it simple. But I'm, what I'm struggling with is that I'm kicking myself that I'm like, I know this stuff, but I'm just not executing on it. And, you know, uh, I really think that that's powerful that um, you know, right, what it takes to work out. You have to be consistent. I didn't say, I didn't say that what method, but you have to be consistent. Just like I'm telling you right now, I have to be more consistent in tracking my finances, both in the business and personal. I need to be tracking my workouts and doing them the same thing over and over again, right? And that goes for strength and cardio. And for you, whatever it is, you probably are in the same category where you don't need to be taught something new. Maybe you do, but rarely, right? If it's a, a, a field brand new to you, maybe. Like for me, I'm learning a little bit more investing. That stuff, I need to be taught. I don't need to be reminded. I need to be taught because I don't know anything. Roth versus 401k versus IRA versus traditional versus SEP versus owner. I, that's, that stuff's very new to me. That stuff I need to be taught. But tracking finances on a daily basis on the other end of that spectrum, I know how to do that. And I just need to be reminded. So what do you do? Make it make it a habit. Do it every morning. You first get up. Do it. Um, you know, I read something if you have, um, uh, you know, 
stuff that you need to take in the morning. Let's say you always have, you're supposed to have a protein shake in the morning. Put your protein shake uh, container, put your protein powder right next to the coffee or put it on top of the fridge. So when you open the fridge, you can't open the fridge without the coffee, excuse me, without, without the protein powder falling on you. It's not going to fall on you. You're going to see it. But the concept is make it so simple that you don't have to necessarily have a, a new habit. You don't necessarily need to be taught something new. You just need to be reminded, right? And that's where, you know, business coaches today are making not thousands, not tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of dollars reminding people what they need to do. Our attention as a species has never been more diverted. And so with number eight, I go back to the way that we are, the way that we're here today is because I have been pretty aggressive in reminding myself of these things and sticking to these in addition to reminding myself these things work. As we evaluate other potential opportunities, whether opening on the Upper East Side, whether opening in Missouri, as we evaluate opportunities, I'm going to remind myself, I know what it's like to open a business. I've done it. Done it three times, technically, in New York City. 2012, 2000, oh, excuse me, 2009, 2010 for the first spot, 2013, and then 2017. So I kind of did a little, you know, master's and then a PhD in entrepreneurship, management, business ownership, negotiating, landlord, all that stuff. But I'm going to say this, I need to be reminded of those lessons more so than I need to be taught. The, the, the concepts in business aren't going to change that much. In addition, for you, the concepts that you're probably in need of, you just need to be reminded. For the thing that you need to focus on, the thing that you want to grow, you just need to be reminded. I'm going to bet you don't need to be taught something new. Those are the eight lessons. I, I've been thinking about this for actually almost two weeks and taking notes on this. This is something that I didn't know it would go this long. I don't know how much longer quantifiably this is going to go, but I'm going to say that these are the eight things that got us through today. And if anything, this is a letter slash message to myself because months, years, uh, decades from now, when we look back on this, we'll probably laugh at some things. We'll probably tell our kids some things, but I think we may need to be reminded more so than we need to be taught something new. That's it for Coachable. Have a great day.